Can y'all say Christ is risen? Indeed. This is Easter after all, but uh, we as Christians ought to celebrate this every day. Um, I'm actually not preaching pertaining directly to the resurrection. I'm preaching relevant actually to dating like a Christian. This is a word of warning for y'all. Um, we did date like a Christian. Pastor Joe preached from the same book two years ago to the youth group. I was not around for that. Um, Adolfo, our youth pastor, will testify that everyone was quote-unquote shacking up after they did the ring ceremony. So I just want to get some facts straight. This has been a burden on me. I felt a lot of unease and um, concern uh, for the body of Christ here. And this is the word the Lord gave to me. Uh, when I read the scripture pertaining to this, this is the body of text I'm reading out. If you want to turn your Bibles to Song of Songs, chapter 8 and verse 6. This is the book right before Isaiah, right after Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Now, <clears throat> hold on a second. This is my first time behind the pulpit. Uh, I might stutter, I might go slow, I might go fast, I might fall down and go boom. You gotta bear with me here. <laughs> Pastor Joe told me, be expressive, use your, use your hands. Gotta bust that out. Now, I wanna I wanna share with you uh, this poem. This actually came originally. I was gonna do a spoken word here, but I was not led to. Uh, I started on it. I was like, well, I I wanted to go with the theme of dating like a Christian, but um, that was not flying. I was gonna do one about you know how God loves us and we love each other and love is nice. Can you say love is nice? Tell your neighbor, love is nice. But but God was not having it. I mean, I get writer's block all the time, you know. But this was more than writer's block. This was this was like uneasy. It's like God was saying, eh, eh. I'm searching your heart here. I don't I don't like this. I don't approve of this. And I'm like, God, what's up? I I, I can't write about love. Isn't love nice? And God and God tells me he tells me these four these four words. It's a sharp rebuke. I had to receive it. And freely I receive. Now freely I give. This is the title of the message. The Lord is saying to the single Christian, am I not enough? I'm going to share with you some poetry. This was also circulated uh, through the youth group last year. I held on to this. And uh, again, I didn't have my own poetry. I wouldn't even write this. To me, actually, it's too wordy, but the message remains the same. Everyone longs to give himself completely to someone, to have a deep soul relationship with another, to be loved thoroughly and exclusively. But God to a Christian says no, not until you are satisfied, fulfilled, and content with being loved by me alone, with giving yourself totally and unreservedly to me, to having an intensely personal and unique relationship with me alone, discovering that only in me is your satisfaction to be found Will you be capable of the perfect human relationship that I have for you? You will never be united with another until you are united with me, really united with another, exclusive of anyone or anything else, exclusive of any other desires or longings. I want you to stop planning, stop wishing, and allow me to give you the most thrilling plan existing, one that you cannot imagine. I want you to have the best. Please allow me to bring it to you. Just keep watching me expecting the greatest things, keep experiencing the satisfaction that I am, and keep listening and learning the things I tell you. You just wait. That's all. 
Wait, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't look around at the things others have gotten or I have given them. Don't look at the things you think you want. Just keep looking off and away to me or you will miss what I want to show you. And then when you are ready, I'll surprise you with a love far more wonderful than anything you would dream of. You see, until you are ready and until the one I have for you is ready, and I am working even at this moment to have both of you ready at the same time, until you are both satisfied exclusively with me and the life I prepare for you, you won't be able to experience the love that exemplifies your relationship with me. This is a lot. Hold on, hold on. Uh, Selah. And this is perfect love. And dear one, I want you to have the most wonderful love. I want to see in you, in the flesh, a picture of your relationship with me. And I want you to enjoy materially the everlasting union and beauty and perfection and love that I offer you with myself. I know that I love you utterly. I am El Shaddai, most loving Father. God Almighty, believe it and be satisfied. And I will be satisfied. I will satisfy you. Can you say, oh, say God loves you. Oh, how he loves us. This is a cute version of my message. This, uh, I, I was thinking about it this morning. This was easily the, the, hardest, the hardest word on judgment I, uh, we ever received at an Easter service, no less. This morning, Pastor Joe was preaching. Mm. So I'm still digesting much. So Pastor Joe was preaching uh, on, on the judgment of God, on the wrath of God, and it was, it was easily the hardest word we ever received. I mean, it is hard. I would be hard-pressed to offend you guys with the word of God, okay? I mean, we preach the blood. We preach repentance. We preach getting over yourself, picking up your cross, following Jesus. Pastor Joe will preach on his knees and call out my name and say, Jared, I publicly rebuke you. In the middle of a sermon, and I had to say, well, he's coming with the word of God. And I had to humbly accept that rebuke. I mean, it is hard. I mean, us, we, we just love the word. We can't argue with the word. It is the word of God. But I'm feeling this is a different word. I mean, the word is full of meat. You know what I'm saying? But this is a, this is a new taste. Uh, I'm going to ask you to prepare your palates here. Okay? I'm going to start in Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. I'm going to stop there. Now, I don't feel entirely led to go too in-depth, but in the days of Solomon, who was the author of this poem, um, all the ancient kings of that time, really, and the royal household and uh, the royal court, basically Solomon had a lot of wives, sons and daughters, servants, messengers, elders, officials, and they all wore a band on their arm bearing the royal emblem. Basically, this represented the king of Israel. So when the wives and the concubines, they went into town, the guys, they wouldn't holler. They'd say, oh, that's the king's Kool-Aid. I'm going to back off. You know what I'm saying? When, when, uh, when, when his kids would be traveling down the roads, they're not going to get robbed by bandits. That's king, you know, that's king Solomon's kid. They're not messing with him. And in his day, he was the most powerful man in the whole world. He was like Warren Buffett and uh, Barack Obama put together. He was, uh, he was very wealthy and powerful. No one was messing with him. And when he went out, uh, he sent out delegates to foreign nations to, to uh, you know, consort with their leaders. Again, they had the seal. They come in the, in the, uh, from the kingdom of Israel. They come representing the kingdom of Israel, the king of Israel. And likewise, we as Christians represent a kingdom. Can I get an amen? We are kings for the kingdom. 
Praise God. So, and think about that. Now we got the seal on our arm. We don't really wear that. You can wear a Jesus t-shirt. I got a few of those. But if you don't have the seal on your heart, it means nothing. Um, and, and the seal on our heart is, well, I think about in Ezekiel, it says, I will write my commands on their heart. In Revelation 22, it says God will write his name on the foreheads of his people. And I think it should just be that obvious, you know, that, um, that, that we walk around like we have Jesus on our forehead. We're Jesus freaks, you know. Augie, love you, man. <laughs> just, to, just to be some Jesus freaks, just in everywhere we go. I mean, uh, Griselda, what, what is it? We want to be infamous at Wright College in the cafeteria, don't we? Absolutely. They, they know the crazy street preachers on North and Damon. Jesus said, light, let your light shine before men that, that they would praise your Father in heaven. We come representing a kingdom. I love what Pastor Joe said a couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning. He said, you can change your workplace or your school. If when any time somebody asks you, what's up, how's it going, and you answer, loving the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength, and loving my neighbor as I love myself. How are you doing? Can you imagine that? If, 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 if that's just how we answered it. I mean, really, you ask me how I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about Jesus, and I'm just going to say, oh, I'm good. I'm good. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. My, my, heart, my heart bears witness. It says, from the abundance of the heart comes the fruit of the lips. And so I got to speak Jesus, think Jesus. When they see me, they got to see Jesus pretty much. Again, uh, this whole seal thing, that's a sermon within itself representing Jesus, representing the kingdom of God as one would represent uh, the kingdom of Israel back in this time. But going forth, this is where it's going to get tough. For love is as strong as death, it's jealousy, unyielding as the grave. Love is such a loaded word in the English language and in our culture. I want to take a survey. What is love? Hello? What is love? Better question, who is love? God is love. That's what First John says, that God is love. But love is not God. I'm going to say this again for your understanding. God is love, but love is not God. I'm going to read mail here. I don't know the address. Some people, they have this emotion they identify as love and a desire and, I can't even think of the word, a passion and a desire to be with someone in a relationship that is not born of God. And God can make this clear to a person, yet we would persist in seeking his confirmation and approval of this. And God is saying, no, he has not changed his mind. He is not a man that he should change his mind or lie. And I'm here telling you the, the, the what. If it's not you, keep listening anyway. But, but here's the thing. I mean, you might think, well, what, what, what's he doing? I mean, I, I have a pure heart. I have the, the best intentions in mind. I'm not in sin. I love Jesus. We're ministering. What's up with here? And I'm, and I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about Christian dating. But you've got to understand something. God is sovereign. He gives and he takes as he pleases. But when he deals with his children and we are his children, it's not as taking candy from a baby just because he can. I would liken it to taking car keys from a drunk driver because someone's going to get hurt and you don't realize it in the state you're in. That's not to say we're drunks. 
But God sees clearer than we do, just as a sober person sees clearer than a drunkard person. See, if God asks of you something or takes from you something, he has your best interests in mind. And if you do not give what he asks you, he will take it from you. It will hurt and it will be a hard lesson learned. Selah. I want to qualify this with scripture here. Proverbs 16 and 25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Now I'm going to use an extreme metaphor here. To Adolf Hitler, the Holocaust was a good thing. It was right in his own mind. And we're going to compare this to, to Christians. We're going to compare this to you guys. No. You guys are awesome. You guys aren't Hitlers, are you? No. Amen. Amen. But, but think about this. The principle remains the same. If a man wants to believe a delusion, he can convince himself of that delusion. The Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. That means it's deceitful even more than the devil. So, so with this heart of mine, I can tell myself and convince myself of anything I want to believe. And as a Christian, I am not exempt I'm more susceptible, if anything. Then I got the, I'll pull the will of God card. Thus saith the Lord. I had a dream. I saw so-and-so's name in my alphabet soup. I think God is speaking to me. I want to I make a differentiation here. There is doing God's will, and then there is God's perfect will for your life. Now, you can do God's will. It's, it's pretty much a no-brainer. It's living by the book, loving God, loving people, praying, going to church. I challenge any of you, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the servant on the mount, meditate on it, and then live by it. That's doing God's will. You can do no wrong. But then there's uh, something very specific in God's perfect plan for your life, his perfect will. See, we're all unique. Say, I'm unique. Tell your neighbor, you are unique. Amen. And because we're so unique, God has embedded in our DNA a specific plan for our lives. He has a specific job for us, a specific ministry, specific church, specific friends, specific uh, location in the world to live in. Some of us will stay here in Chicago. Some of us will go all over the world, including that is a marriage partner, a specific marriage partner. For some of you, there's none at all. Paul didn't have one, and he was a great man of God, but. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so we see that God has, has a perfect will for our lives. But when we step outside of that will, it, there's trouble. It, it, it's not blessed. We want to make sure we are doing right by God. See, God sees things we don't see. He says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher. They are above your thoughts. God is seeing something we don't. God is speaking things we don't quite understand, but it would make sense. And we don't want to find out the hard way how much it made sense. Bear with me a second. See, the warning is we could easily fall into sin. I mean, I want to, I want to challenge you guys because we think we're very secure in our salvation. We think we're very secure in our faith. But the Bible in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, you, you know, I'm going to have you turn there. Work your word. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Bless you. God bless you. 
So you think you are standing firm. Be careful that you don't fall. You know, we're going to have a, a, a ring, a promise ring ceremony. How many of us have a promise ring? Okay. I'm going to call, I'm going to call out some people. Berto, did you receive a promise ring once? Did you fornicate after receiving that promise ring? There you go. He said yes, people. We got to be careful here. God knows. He searches the heart and the mind. He sees things we don't. This is a warning for us just to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. I'm feeling him saying, am I not enough for a reason? I'm going to keep reading in um, Song of Songs again. For love is as strong as death, it's jealousy, unyielding as the grave. Habakkuk says that death is greedy and the grave is never satisfied. Proverbs 27:20 says that death and destruction are never satisfied. It never has its fill. Here's a mystery. Everyone who has ever lived has died. And philosophers and scientists have been, have been racking their minds from the dawn of time trying to figure this out. Uh, I mean, the answer is in the good book, people. Every answer. Ezekiel 18 says, The soul who sins will die. And because all have sinned, all die. See, sin is rebellion and a deviation from the will of God. There, there's, there's a lot about obedience to God in that. I just noticed uh, how a lot of these scriptures fall into place. In uh, Genesis 3.22, it describes the fall of man. It says, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He cannot reach out, eat from the fruit of the tree of life, and have eternal life. See, we are cut off from God by our sin. God holds eternal life. But we are cut off by our sin. So everyone who sins shall die. The New Testament elaborates on this. Jesus Christ said in John 8:36 that he who sins is a slave to sin. In Romans 6, verse 16. <clears throat> says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves... You are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. There again is obedience. That is a, is a strong, strong word, and, I, and, and it just happens to fall that way, I, I swear. But he um, says when you off yourself. So sin is like a slave master. And there's some people, there's sinners out in the world, and they have it pretty good, but they're kind of like the house slaves that be snitching on the slaves out in the field. The thing is, it says that, that if you are a slave to sin, it leads to death. Again, death is greedy. The grave is, is never satisfied. So sin's going to use you up. It's going to have you doing disgusting things to yourself, to others, and breaking the heart of God. It's going to have some girls with their booties hanging out on New Year's Eve in the freezing cold. I've seen this because they, you know, they want to look good at the parties. It's going to have some guy in a kiddie pool with a pencil up his nose after a party. This is what sin does to you. Sin is a cruel, thankless master, and at the end it hands you over to death. And death does not take bribes, and the grave does not take no for an answer. Everyone who has ever lived has died. It seems we're without hope, without rescue, but lo and behold, here comes Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to be going through a few scriptures in Romans. I'm taking a detour off the Romans road. I'm in Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, 
Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It goes on in this passage in verse 10 to say we were God's enemies. So Jesus died for his enemies. God loved you when you hated him. And he laid down his life. You see, Jesus was without sin. He had no obligation to death. He was not mastered by sin. He was mastered by the will of the Father who called him to be not obligated to death. He owed the grave nothing, but he was obedient to death. And he said, greater love has not a man than a man lay down his life for his friends. See, we were not slaves who do not abide in the household. We became friends of God. Jesus Christ exemplifies perfect love in laying down his life because that's how he said it. He says it's the greatest love. That is the greatest love according to God and what God says goes. So God here loves us enough to die for us, to lay down his life. It was a hard-fought battle, but he said, Behold, I hold the keys of death in Hades. So he rescues us from our own sin, from our own slavery, some, uh, from a debt we can never pay ourselves. I want to read just out of Romans 8. I get warm and tingly whenever I read this scripture. It makes me feel good. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Perfect love. Here's a trustworthy and true saying. No man or woman can ever love you the way Jesus Christ has loved you. But God is asking in this hour, why are you looking? I have an inkling as to why. Ricky, would you turn with us to Ephesians 4 and verse 17. You see, it is, it is abstract to us. We were made to love God. But we were not raised to love God. I'm going to say that again. We were made to love God. We were not raised to love God. Inside of us is, is, a very, is a very spark and a very desperate need for God. It gets misdirected throughout our lives. I was saved at age 20. I gave my life to the Lord. And that was only about a year and a half ago. But I spent 20 years in love with the world, in love with people in the world and things of the world. Now think of how that applies to you. That we spent more of our lives in love with the world than we did with Jesus Christ. Jesus. You probably beat me to it. <laughs> Ephesians 4.17 So I tell you this and insist on it insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. It was not through our senses. I've heard it said that a preacher does not appeal to the intellect nor to the emotions, but he appeals to the conscience. You see, we go after the world by our senses. We go by, after the world by what sounds good and what, what makes our ears tickle. But Jesus Christ reached in 
and grabbed us by the conscience, told us to surrender, told us to repent. In verse 21, Surely you heard him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. Um, I want to I want to elaborate on that. To put off your former way of life, your old self, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, at age 20, well, let's start at age 3. Studies show that by the age of 3, I was shaped into the person I would be for the rest of my life. My parents... Uh, key events and circumstances generally in my life at the age of three had me on track to be the person I would be at the age of 20. So how much more at the age of 20 is my view on life and love and all these things corrupted? For an example, before I was saved, I held to the typical postmodern view. Well, there's Jesus and there's Muhammad and everyone has an opinion. Everyone get along, you know. I was very, I was very influenced and I was very naive. Think about women. My relationships with women had my had my view on, on love skewed. The, the sensuality that's presented in the media, in music, and in television, and movies, and a lot of guys became addicted to pornography in the world, and it, it, it just perverted their minds, and there has to be a lot, of, a lot of renewal. Jesus Christ is not done with us, not by a long shot. Uh, my friend Berto, I'm calling you out again. I love what you said last week. You said, I walked for 20 years in the world before I found Christ. Then I would walk for 20 years in Christ before I found a wife. You see, God is not done with us. We are not ready. I believe that. I am not just saying that out of opinion. This was of the Holy Ghost. I tell you, when I got this, when I got the scripture, I was numb. It was like a... could not even describe it. Basically, the whole sermon came to me within 30 minutes of looking at these two verses, Song of Songs 8, 6, and 7. we got to get the world out of us. we got to renew our minds. we got to find out God's perfect will. Back to Song of Songs. Hold on. Let me, uh, let me find that once again. How many of y'all enjoying working your word? You're burning calories. So love is as strong as death. It's jealousy as unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, Our God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Exodus 34:14 says, Do not worship any other gods, for the Lord your God, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Did you know God is jealous for you? And if you're not devoted, you are divided. If you are not devoted to God entirely, you are divided. You know, and when we get the, the Misty Edwards song, you all know it. You all know we worship to this countless times. You won't relent until you have it all. And what sparks us? What sparks these writers, these, these psalmists, to write songs about surrender, about giving our all to Christ? Think about that. Why are so many songs we sing? Why are so many times we go to this altar, I give it all, I give it all? Because we know deep down we're supposed to give it all. Jesus Christ gave it all. He held nothing back. I don't know when we come back to these altars when no one's looking. 
we pick up what we left off at the altar. We didn't quite give it all. And that's the folly of, of King Saul. King Saul didn't give it all. King Saul was told to destroy completely the Amalekites. Um, I'm just going to paraphrase it, but if you ever want to read that story, that is 1 Samuel 15. He was called to completely destroy the Amalekites, men and women, children and infants, cattle and donkeys, camels and sheep. Now, I think we're called to be evangelists, preachers, apostles, all kinds of things, but I don't know if anyone here is called to genocide. I don't want to see you guys going to Chinatown with some homemade uh, explosives or something. That was not of God, friend, and I'm going to talk to Ricky, all right? Hallelujah. I mean, think about that. We're supposed to surrender all to God. I mean, we're talking Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I mean, there's so many scriptures. I could just pick and choose about how wonderful God is. I mean, in the Hosea, it says they traded in their glory for something disgraceful. Everything we could imagine, no matter how nice or honorable it seems, is a huge step down from God. We were made to know God. We couldn't even fathom God. And I'm telling you, it's very abstract for us to love someone so entirely we have not seen. We are to have a relationship with God, a very unique one. Uh, he is to be both our father and our lover, for example. It's kind of weird. But, hey, this is God. And I'm not getting freaky with God. But I do have a deep personal relationship with him. I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to be more devoted to him than my, than my own mother, according to Jesus. He said, if you don't hate your mother and your father, if you don't leave everything behind and follow me. The, the key here is obedience, though. If you actually do want to turn to 1 Samuel 15, I'm going to start here. In verse 22, but Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king. And that's a warning for those who had their mail read, to continue on this course could ruin our perfect or God's perfect plan for our lives. And not, not my perfect plan for my life. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. And, and I think we can confuse those things. It's not thus saith the Lord until the Lord actually says it and makes it clear. I mean, going back again to Song of uh, Songs. Oh, see, I'm 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 working it, man. I'm I'm getting my fingers worked out, you know. But you got them squeezy things. I can't think of what it is like for the business meetings. It says, "Many waters." I'm in, I'm in verse seven now. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. You see, what Saul did was he was called to completely destroy the Amalekites, yet he held back. 
And we're not called to commit genocide. I, I, I can't stress that enough. But we are called to put to death things in our life. We're called to die to self. And he held back. And, when, and he was so convinced. He says, but I did follow the Lord's commands. I did follow the Lord's commands. I'm talking Saul and Samuel here. And Samuel said, stop. You did not obey the word of the Lord. And, and, and what he had to offer, what did he have to offer? Uh, uh, the fat of rams, uh, the fat of, uh, you know, offer these sacrifices here. So it would be utterly scorned. God would rather have you listen to him. God needs you to heed his voice. Jesus said, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. That's how you love God. You know, I see a lot on the streets, oh, I love God, but do you keep his commands? It's like having a, having a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You know, say, don't cheat on me. Well, I'm going to cheat on you anyway. Do I really love that person? Psalm 50. I didn't have this one in mind, but I was just thinking about it. Psalm 50. I might have to flip for this one. I have to scan this one over. I haven't read it in a few weeks. Okay, I'm going to start in verse 7. Hear, Psalm 50 and verse 7. Hear, O my people, and speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices and your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, or of, for every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountain and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or do I drink the blood of goats? No, he doesn't. That'd be weird. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. Fulfill your vows. You can make a vow. And you you fulfill a vow, and I think I think God's pretty mad at me. I still got this vow in my wallet. I haven't been fulfilling. Uh, I'll get into that later. And call upon me in your day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and I will honor you, or you will honor me. So, so what's this guy saying? He said, he said all the wealth of your household, everything you could offer God would be utterly scorned. Did you know God doesn't need you? I mean, really. I love what Catherine Kuhlman prayed. She said, God, I am nothing, but if you can use this nothing and to do something, then so be it. You see, you got nothing to offer God. I mean, really, what are we going to do? Say, God, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to, I'm going to lead this ministry. People think we're doing God a favor. Said so to give the wealth of your house would be utterly condemned. To give all these sacrifices, to do all this stuff for the Lord. And we really think we're doing Him a favor. He wants you to listen to Him. He wants the relationship. And a relationship does not work if someone is being rebellious. See, our relationship with God is like that with a person. It has our ups and downs, but God doesn't change. If our relationship with God is in trouble, it's on account of us. You see, what did Paul say about people in the world? He said they, they go about and yes, yes, and no, no. We're not fulfilling our vows. We're not remaining faithful to God. We're not obedient to the voice of the Lord. And I tell you, man, this has been a burden on my heart. This has been a burden. I have uh, I've just felt general unease, and I, and I actually have to release that here because I didn't, I didn't receive this word. I didn't receive it as something tangible to give to you until I said, God... I see that you are jealous for me. I see that you want me fully. 
And I said, Lord, let your jealousy burn in me. So if we feel something in our heart, if we feel disheartened, if we feel saddened, if we feel crushed a little bit, it's because God's jealousy and anger is against us and he wants us to return to him fully. I think in all the excitement of dating like a Christian, and I tell you, you know, my relationships with people can get in the way. I've heard it said, your relationship with a person will always get in the way of your relationship with God. Countless stories of people that fell away, especially in like youth groups, but we're a little more mature than that. And uh, we got we got people like me that God might use to warn us to stay on track, to give God our everything. So as we break out into small groups, we're going to talk about obedience. We're going to see just how much we are in the perfect will of God for our lives right now. So it's... Um